from Television City in Hollywood. Hey, man! Welcome to episode number 98. Yes, we're two away from the century mark of the Keep It To Yourself podcast, the most above average podcast ever to hit your ear holes. My name, of course, and as always, is Jason Bullitt. The man's the hour. Woo! Too sweet to be sour, Jack. Here we are in mid-February in the rolling and snow-covered hills of Saratoga, New York. Saratoga County, New York, I should say. This is a momentous week for me as I'm about to leave the job I've had for 15 years and go on to another company. I'll tell you more about my working life coming up in this episode. Let's get the social media out of the way first. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at keep underscore podcast. You can follow my civilian Instagram at Jason underscore 51838. There's also the Keep It To Yourself Facebook page. You can get new episodes as they appear on your feed. You can also listen to this podcast on Google Play, or Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favorite podcatcher. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, do me a huge solid. Give me a five-star rating. Also, you can get a good write-up or give me one. That would be awesome as well. On to the vanity portion of this podcast, or this episode thereof. Didn't really do much here, and it does have to do with the main topic of this episode. I've been very busy. In fact, the old saying goes, I've been busier than a one-armed paper hanger. I've been essentially working two jobs the last several weeks, so it's cut into my podcasting time. It's cut into my social time, but hey, earning two paychecks for a bit, that was quite the experience, something I'd never do again. But I might have to at some stage, even with this new job. I'll talk more about it later on the show. I went into my new business, which I'll talk about later on. They wanted me to work overtime, so I did. This was day before the Super Bowl. And then, the day of the game, I went over to my friend David's house. This is, I believe, the fourth year in a row I've done this. Their gray host had a full spread of appetizers. I greatly noshed on all of them. There was also pizza and chicken wings, too. Now... The hosts of this particular party are not necessarily big sports fans like yours truly. So there was a TV in the finished basement downstairs, or cellar if you will. Now there was a bit of a hitch. They had to stream the game from their computer, so a little technological wizardry on my host part because they have Dish Network rather than cable. They haven't cut the cord like we did that weekend. So we're going on YouTube TV via Google Chromecast, but that's another story. Back to the lecture at hand. They actually took the laptop computer and streamed the game off the Fox Sports website. So that's how we watched it. We still got to see the commercials. Commercials, yeah, if you're looking for humor, they haven't really been all that in the last decade or so. There was a sentimental one from Google about this man who, uh, I assume, I'm going to go on the assumption that his wife is no longer among the living. I thought of my dad. He might be saying, like, show pictures of Lois. That's my mom, by the way. Her death was the reason I started this podcast almost three years ago. Anyway, that was quite a game. It got dull. I thought this was going to be as dull as last year's Super Bowl, but it got hot in the fourth quarter, ladies and gentlemen. San Francisco was up 20-10, to 10, but Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs put it together, and they win it 31-20. to 20. Kansas City has their first Super Bowl championship in half a century. Hard to believe that. Now, I like the food. The pizza is there, but the chicken wings, I got to admit, they were a bit undercooked. I'm like, what am I even eating this garbage for? They said, like, okay, it's chicken wings. One's going to be, like, barbecue 
with a bit of cranberry sauce. Oh man, that would have been a tree had those been cooked properly. And also like lemon garlic. Now, I don't know what happened, but I must have bitten to one of those things. It was more gristle than anything else. Like, I can't be eating this shit. It's too messy anyway. I don't think these people know how to cook chicken wings properly. I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I don't think I can train my, me feeling a bit woozy. I had like a little acid reflux. I th kept thinking to myself, am I going to have to get a sick day here, take the rest of the day off, go see my doctor? There was an urgent care facility near my current work. I thought, am I going to have that little chat with them? So I did not go to my autism support group meeting. Instead, I decided to go home and just take it easy. And I felt better the next day. So I got to be careful with food, especially a man of 37 years of age. So that was it. Not much else happened. And we're going to go into the more distant past now as we take a look back at the year 1998 with some appropriate music, please. That's Chumbawamba with Tub Thumping. That little earworm from 1998. In fact, that earworm wormed its way to number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100 charts this week in 1998. And we're taking a look back at one of my favorite years of all time here on this episode of the Keep It To Yourself podcast, episode 98. See what I did there? As always, we're going to start with what was making headlines in the news. Here in 2020, we just came off an impeachment trial of the current chief executive. May he not be voted, may not be voted into the position again. But this time, it was for, by comparison, less egregious acts. It was Bill Clinton who was under the microscope when it came out that he had an affair with a White House intern by name of Monica Lewinsky. And of course, Clinton went on there. He denied it, but the Congress wasn't buying it. And the Senate put him on an impeachment trial which started late in 1998. Actually, he was impeached in 98, and it would start early next year. In other news, the Unabomber, Theodore Kaczynski, whose brother lives in Schenectady, or at least he did last I checked, pled guilty to all the acts that he did. It was bombing those that were involved with modern technology. They addressed that on one episode of the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. It was quite gripping discussion. There were bombings at U.S. embassies in East Africa, in Kenya and Tanzania. I remember that was the weekend I went to stay with my sister. She graduated from Nazareth College of Rochester earlier that year, and she decided to go on to law school. She spent that year at Western New England University. Now, well, it was Western New England College back then, so she took this apartment in Springfield. And I got to spend an overnight with her last summer, and then later on, like two weeks later... Here I am spending a whole weekend walking through Forest Park, going shopping. I went to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Oh, it was awesome sauce. What memories. And I can remember the apartment building. It was called the Sumner Arms Apartments. And given how old the building was, I started calling it the Broken Arms. That's how ready this apartment was. It was good living, though. International news. The Good Friday Agreement between Ireland and the United Kingdom effectively put an end to the troubles, decades worth of sectarian violence, especially in Northern Ireland. Ramsey Youssef, remember him from F-93? When he bombed the World Trade Center? Well, in 1998, he pled guilty to that crime. Now, this news event is kind of like reap what you sow 20 years later. Set the stage for the next decade and the decade ahead. 
Hugo Chavez was elected president of Venezuela. Well, nothing happened there. Don't I wish. Iraq, a sore spot earlier in the 1990s, flared up again. Clinton, as we already mentioned, was under the impeachment shadow. Decided to let the tail wag the dog and ordered an airstrike on Iraq on my 16th birthday, no less. There's been all this talk in the intervening decades about LGBT rights. Well, it all got spearheaded in 1998 when a gay student for the University of Wyoming by the name of Matthew Shepard was beaten, tortured, and left to die. It was six days earlier that all this happened. He died on October 12, 1998. It also spearheaded the attention brought both on the national and international level to hate crime legislation, not only in the federal level of government, but on state levels as well. Eleven years after all this went down, Congress passed the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crime Prevention Act, which is commonly for short the Shepard Byrd Act or the Matthew Shepard Act. President Barack Obama on October 28th of 2009 signed it into law. Matthew's mother, Judy, became a prominent LGBT rights activist, I'm quoting the Wikipedia article, and she helped establish the Matthew Shepard Foundation, which is an LGBT nonprofit organization founded just two months after her son was beaten and tortured. Helps run education, advocacy, and outreach programs for LGBT youth. God bless her for it. There were disasters, man-made and otherwise, that made the news in 1998. There was a shooting at the U.S. Capitol building on July 24th. Two officers were killed in that. There was a big airplane crash in Nova Scotia, Canada. Swiss Air Flight 111 crashed. All 229 passengers and crew aboard were killed. There were some meteorological disasters that also made the news. One of which hit pretty close to home. The other hit almost but not quite close to home. As 1998 was a week and a half old, or thereabouts, the north country of New York State, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, as well as Montreal, Quebec, Canada, were under the wrath of a terrific ice storm. Millions were left without electricity in both the United States and Canada for days, months, weeks, a long time. It was quite devastating, especially in the north country. And in Montreal, where... Two and a half million, just about the entire city lost electricity. Crazy stuff. Thank goodness we weren't affected. However, on May 31st of 1998, not far from where I'm sitting here at Bullet House, a F3 tornado hit Mechanicville in Stillwater, New York. Right near where I'm talking to you from right now. Only one person died as an indirect result of the storm, but many homes were damaged. Thousands were without power in the rolling hills of Saratoga County. The storm went over the Hudson River, ravaged Rensselaer County, went into Vermont. This is News Channel 13, live at 11. Good evening, I'm Chris Kapastashi. And I'm Ed Dagan. There were at least three deaths related to the storm, but none in our area. We were very fortunate in that because this is where the worst damage occurred. Governor Pataki toured Mechanicville today before declaring a state of emergency in Saratoga County. He also declared an emergency in Rensselaer County and to the west in Broome and Otsego counties. You see it on TV, you see pictures of it, but I've never seen anything like it. It's like a bomb head. It's just uh, nothing, nothing like, like nothing I've ever seen. 
Brian Jackson is monitoring the cleanup effort in Mechanicville. He joins us now live with the very latest. Brian. And this was the day after for those who were hit by this violent tornado here in the Mechanicville area. It was also a day to give thanks. Thanks that most people escaped serious injury. And it was a day to begin cleaning up. You don't know where to start right now. You don't know what to pick up first. Normally, Pete Babineau would have spent his Monday repairing beer trucks at DeCrescenti Distributors. Instead, he spent the day trying to figure out how he's going to do his job without the six-bay garage that was leveled by the tornado. Well, we're probably looking at a week and a half to get it cleaned out of here. Probably six months before we're 100% again at this end. Meanwhile, Bill Crossan was working overtime, trying to deal with the flood of orders to replace windows and windshields. I have uh, nine windshields with me ten tonight. I'll work tonight until they're done. Shirley Wiley was at her Mechanicville home when the tornado hit. It struck hard and fast while she and her family lay on the floor. My 13-year-old kept screaming, we're going to die. We're going to die. Are we going to die, Mom? And I just... Hugged him and said, just hang on to mommy. That's all we did. And prayed. Wiley's brother took them all in. He had rushed home as soon as he heard about the storm. They went home to check, see how my family was. They heard me see, see that it was disaster. But they checked to make sure that they were safe. And they were all safe. But as a diabetic with a heart condition, Shirley also needed her medication, insulin, and an oxygen tank. Friends brought over a generator for her needs. The other things they got at the Mechanicville shelter, water, some food, and formula and diapers for two-month-old Nathan. His parents don't have water or power. It's a little bit of a hardship compared to what everybody else is going through. I've, I'm a lot better off than a lot of people. I, I've got a roof over my head. I can't say that for a lot of my friends. That was a clip from the day after the tornado as it aired on WNYT News Channel 13, our NBC affiliate here in New York's capital region. Chris Kapastashi is now known as Chris Jansing. She now has a big correspondence position with NBC News. Ed Dig, unfortunately, is not with us, or no longer with us. He passed away late last year. He retired from the station in 2003 due to health issues that ultimately wound up taking his life. And it was a devastating time for those living in this part of Saratoga County. I was living in Saratoga Spring at the time. I don't think we lost electricity. It was so long ago. Uh, there you have it right there. Mechanicville's rebuilt itself. All right, enough of the news. We have debuts and birth that took place in 1998. Just about many an NBA roster was born during this time. Markel Fultz, ex of the Philadelphia 76ers, now the Orlando Magic, was born in 1998. Jason Tatum, he of the Boston Celtics. Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks. He was the number one pick back in 2018, I believe it was. I think it was 2017, I really don't know. Kylian Mbappe of the French national team. And French side Paris Saint-Germain was born in 1998. Actor Sean Mendez was born in 1998. Juice World, a rapper of some sort who passed away last year. Also born in 1998. We also had some debuts too. There was this little search engine named Google that came onto the scene quietly in 1998. I was using Yahoo as a search engine. Google was a real alternative. Whatever became of that Google? Eurocoins and the European Central Bank made their debuts in 1998. Here in the States, public radio was graced 
with a wonderful game show that took current events and put it in quiz show form. It was a show called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I wouldn't hear an episode of that show until I got to college when it aired on Vermont Public Radio. It wouldn't air on our local affiliate WAMC until after I got out of college. Unfortunately, as the saying goes, as there is birth, so shall there be death. And we had a lot of luminaries pass away in 1998. I really did my research on this one. The biggest death of them all that year was old Blue Eyes himself, Francis Albert Sinatra, the chairman of the board. He went to heaven in 1998. There was this place near where I live that's no longer in business called the My Way Cafe. And it was a Frank Sinatra-themed restaurant. At least they had Frank Sinatra memorabilia all over the restaurant. I never ate at that place. Alan Shepard, one of the first U.S. astronauts to hit outer space. He's now dancing in the heavens. Has been for 22 years almost. Sonny Bono, half of Sonny and Cher. He met his end on the ski slopes. Harry Carey, one of the great voices of baseball. Hi, this is Harry Carey. I just can't figure it out. He passed before the 1998 baseball season. More on that in just a moment. Mae Questel. You may not have heard of her, but you certainly heard her voice. She was the voice of Popeye's lover, Olive Oil. And going back to baseball just a bit, Jack Brickhouse. He passed away in 1998 too, months after Harry Carey. Jack Lord had become a forgotten celebrity by the time of his death in 1998. He was famous for playing Detective Steve McGarrett on the classic sitcom Hawaii Five-0. My friend Tony, who has been my co-worker for all the time that I've been at this place, I'm going to be talking about later, that's one of his favorite TV shows. That and also Emergency as well. Dragnet, anything that Jack Webb came up with back in the day. He passed in 1998. I'm still a subscriber to this thing called This Is True. And it's kind of like Dumb People Town before it was Dumb People Town. And they had this honorary unsubscribe of the week. And this is a forgotten person in history who met their end during the week. And the first one was Jack Lord. Kind of amazing the trivia I can pull out of my ass. <laughs> Carl Perkins, he took his blue suede shoes to the heavens in 1998. Carl Wilson of the Beach Boys, ditto. Falco, the man born Johann Herzl. Ooh, rock me, Amadeus. He passed in 1998. Henny Youngman, a great comedian. He was one of the best. He was one of the first to do it. He had the great line. Take my wife, please. <laughs> he also passed in 1998, as did actor Lloyd Bridges. I remember him from one of my favorite movies of all time, the 1980 disaster spoof, Airplane. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. I'm starting to think that my sixth sense of humor started when I was a teenager. I don't know who of my parents was with me when I purchased Airplane on VHS at the local BJ's Wholesale Club. That's how long ago this was, kids. But one of the first movies I can remember buying was Airplane. And oddly enough, I started watching it a month before I went on my first ever plane ride to Disney World with my mom, God rest her soul. It was a great movie.
I really enjoyed it. One of my all-time faves, even though I may not have gotten some of the jokes at the time. Later that year, I saw Airplane 2 on television. I was in seventh grade when that shit went down. Dermot Morgan, speaking of comedy, he was on this British shit... British sitcom? Hello, sorry. <laughs> Made me feel great. Dropped an S-bomb. Well, I never saw much of Father Ted, the sitcom I was talking about, but he played the title character. He died in 1998. Bella Obsug, an advocate for women's rights and activist, too. Pol Pot, Cambodian dictator, The Killing Fields, Khmer Rouge. He went to the bad place in 1998. Here are some unknown names you may not be familiar with. You may not have heard of a man named Ferdinand Porsche, but his name is all over a luxury sports car, and he took one of those Porsches to the pearly gates in 1998. Going back to the bad place, James Earl Ray. He was the man responsible for gunning down Martin Luther King 30 years earlier in Memphis, Tennessee. Well, he didn't gun down two other civil rights activists, Eldridge Cleaver and Stokely Carmichael, who helped out in the civil rights movement for African Americans in the United States. We're taking a left turn here with this list of obits. Wendy O. Williams. She was the lead singer of this punk rock band called the Plasmatics. And oh boy, she got herself in some controversy way back when. This is her Wikipedia article. In January 1981, police in Milwaukee, Wisconsin arrested Williams for simulating masturbation on stage. I hope if you got kids around there, number one, you're a sick bastard. Number two, earmuffs. Williams was charged with battery to an officer and obscene conduct. She was cleared of all charges. Later that year in Cleveland, Williams was acquitted of an obscenity charge for simulating sex on stage wearing only shaving cream. She subsequently covered her nipples with electrical tape to avoid arrest. Late, it's not, it doesn't end there. In November, an Illinois judge sentenced her to one year supervision and fined her $35.00 for attacking a freelance photographer who tried to take her picture as she jogged along the Chicago lakefront. Paparazzi, I'll be bound. Now, I've mentioned mental health a few times on this podcast. And I'm all for suicide prevention, and I'm very open about some of the issues I've had on that front. Especially when I was 14 years old, I've told that story before, how my mom convinced me not to take my own life. It was a rough go of it for me. Back in those days. I'm through it now, thank heavens. I don't want to really get into all this, but I want to preface this by saying if you have thoughts of suicidal ideation or you know somebody who's looking to just snuff it out early, I convince you, I, I implore you to contact the National Suicide Prevention Hotline 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-TALK. Or if talking on the telephone isn't your thing, you can just text home to number 741741. And as this is an international podcast, I'm sure there are suicide resources and hotlines and this, that, and the other in your part of the world, too. According to Williams's Wikipedia article, she first attempted suicide in 1993 by hammering a knife into her chest, and that same knife wound up lodging in her sternum. However, she thought better of it, changed her mind, and called this man by the name of Rod Swenson to take her to the hospital. Four years later, she made a second attempt at snuffing it by overdosing on ephedrine. Welp, she finally succeeded for some sad reason on the 6th of April, 1998. 
Rod Swenson, who was her partner for more than 20 years, returned to their home in the area where they lived since moving to Connecticut from New York City. Swenson found a package she left for him that contained some noodles he liked, a packet of seeds for growing garden greens, some oriental massage balm, sorry about that, and sealed letters from Williams. The letters, which include a living will denying life support, a love letter to Swenson, and various lists of things to do, caused Swenson to go out in the woods and begin searching for her. After about an hour's searching, as dusk fell, Swenson found her body in a wooded area with a pistol lying on the ground nearby. Moments before she took her own life, she had apparently been feeding wild squirrels, as well as putting a bag over her head before shooting herself to spare her partner the horrible sight. Well, didn't succeed there. She still found your body. He still found your body. Pronouns, pal. Reportedly, this is what Williams wrote in a suicide note regarding her decision, and I quote, I don't believe that people should take their own lives without deep and thoughtful reflection over a considerable period of time. I do believe strongly, however, that the right to do so is one of the most fundamental rights that anyone in a free society should have. For me, much of the world makes no sense, but my feelings about what I am doing ring loud and clear to an inner ear in a place where there is no self, only calm. End quote. I'm just not going to speak any more of this. Let's just move on. It's going to be hard to do so. There are some other people who die, well, not by suicide, but by natural causes, of one thing or another. Two country musicians. What a left turn this took. Eddie Rabbit. I, the first interview I did was with Cease Beeston. I played you into the episode by playing Driving My Life Away, even though it was more about roadies instead of truck drivers. Grandpa Jones, who you may remember from Hee Haw, first aired on CBS, but then got a second life in... Syndication after the rural purge of 1971. possum and sweet potatoes and whole kernel corn and stewed tomatoes and ripe mush melon or a rhubarb pie and a good cup of coffee that'll take you out. Actress Maureen O'Sullivan also passed away in 1998. She has a connection to New York's capital region, as she is buried at the cemetery in Niskayuna, New York, a suburb of Schenectady. Niskayuna is the hometown of her widow, James Cushing, her last husband, whom she married in 1983. Through her first marriage, she gave birth to four children, one of whom was Mia Farrow, and one time was mother-in-law to both Frank Sinatra and Andre Praveen. She had some connection to Woody Allen, by the way, should be pointed out. Two greats of old westerns, at least for the kiddies, passed within months of each other in 1998. Roy Rogers and Gene Autry went for the last roundup. Barry Goldwater, 1964 Republican candidate and longtime senator from Arizona, passed in 1998. Alice Fade joined her husband Phil Harris in the heavens in 1998 as well. Phil Hartman, oh, this was awful. I don't know which was worse, Phil Hartman or Chris Farley's death. Phil Hartman was shot by his wife in a domestic dispute. That was pretty sad. Oh, still aches. Jerome Robbins, great musician and a musical writer, too. If ever there was such a thing. Akira Kurosawa, director of The Seven Samurai, joined one of his actor friends, Toshiro Mifune, in the heavens. Kurosawa also directed such films as Rashomon. 
George Wallace, controversial governor of Alabama, promoted segregation. Also ran for president in 1972, and he was shot on the campaign trail by some lunatic. He wasn't killed, but he was paralyzed, spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair. Flip Wilson, the great comic. I remember seeing him in the late 90s for the first time ever when Nick and Knight re-ran the Flip Wilson show. Robert Young, Marcus Welby, M.D., great actor, passed in 98. Sherry Lewis. If you watched PBS back in the day, you remember Sherry Lewis in Lamb Chop. Her daughter now takes that on. Mary Fran, who played Bob Newhart's wife in Newhart, also went in 1998. Great actor Roddy McDowell. He was a great actor, appeared in many great films. Overusing the word great on that one. But if you're a fan of Batman 66, the TV series, he appeared as the bookworm in that series. And speaking of Batman... The man who helped bring him to life in the comic books, Bob Kane, also passed in 1998. Red Holtzman, legendary basketball coach. He dribbled his way to the pearly gates in 1998. Actor Norman Fell, the fall guy, did his last stunt in 1998. Archie Moore, a legendary boxer, went to the great square circle in the sky this year. Esther Roll, who you may remember from good times. Played Florida Evans. Damn, damn, damn. Which was a spinoff of Maud. Man, Norman Lear has handled a lot of great projects in the 70s. By the way, her husband, played by John Amos, is the man you hear most every episode saying from Television City in Hollywood. I, like Peter Winson, host of the podcast Greetings from Allentown, are fans of old sitcoms. So we got that going for the both of us, which is nice. Irene Hervey, actress, passed away in 1998. Not related to Jason Hervey of the Wonder Years, but she was actually the son of Jack Jones, the singer, you know, the Love Boat theme from way back when. And I believe that's it for obits. There was a, an end in pop culture that I want to point out. The long-running NBC sitcom Seinfeld aired its last episode on May 14th of 1998. 76 million people tuned in to watch this episode. And this was 1998, folks. People would give their left nut to have that many viewers and not have it be the Super Bowl. It did come in for some criticism in some circles. That's what I recall. Going on to the sports world now, I became a fan of the New York Yankees this season. It was a comeback year for baseball coming off the strike of 1994-95. The New York Yankees, in that year, won an unheard of 114 games. If you count the postseason, they won 125 games and lost only 50. Two outs, no one on, bottom of the ninth. The Yankees have a 3-0 lead. They are on the precipice, the stretch, and pitch. Hit on the ground on a hop to Brocious. Fields, throws across, in time. Ball game over, World Series over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. The New York Yankees, professional sports most storied, gloried franchise, has once again scaled baseball's Everest. For the 24th time in their illustrious history, the New York Yankees are world champions. And the Yankees right now between the mound and first base, Mariano Rivera went down to both knees, threw his arms skyward. He was jumped on by 
Joe Girardi, and then by Tino Martinez, and they're all jumping on top of each other between first base and the pitcher's mound. Joe Torre, with tears in his eyes, runs out to that crowd between home plate or between the pitcher's mound and first base, and he hugs Andy Pettit, he hugs Willie Randolph, and the Yankees are world champions and a dream season in our lifetime. We will probably never see this again. There were two noteworthy events that took place during this dream season. On May 17th, David Wells threw a perfect game. He became the first such pitcher to throw a no-hitter since Dave Rigetti in 1983, and the first to throw a perfect game straight up since the late great Don Larson during the 1956 World Series. On the bad side, two nights later, the Yankees hosted the Baltimore Orioles. Orioles pitcher Armando Benitez, after giving up a home run to Bernie Williams in the eighth inning, hit Tino Martinez in the back with a pitch, and unfortunately, mayhem and chaos ensued shortly thereafter. was also Yankee Stadium's 75th anniversary, and by that I mean the old Yankee Stadium, which was torn down after the 2008 season, or sometime thereafter. In mid-April, the Yankees were forced to change sites for some of their home games as a piece of concrete came falling off part of the stadium in the inside bowl and took out some of the seats on the way down. 
It didn't stop the Yankees, though. They won their 24th World Series championship in 1998. In the NFL, the Denver Broncos won their first ever Super Bowl championship under the leadership of John Elway after four previous attempts through the years had failed. It's only four words. This one's for John. In the National Hockey League, the Detroit Red Wings won back-to-back Stanley Cups, defeating the Washington Capitals that year's Stanley Cup Finals. The Red Wings had dedicated their season to Sergei Manostakov, the team's masseur, and one of their players, Vladimir Kuznetsov, both of whom were injured in a horrific limousine accident days after the Red Wings won the Stanley Cup the year previous. In the NBA, the Chicago Bulls ended their dynasty with one last NBA championship, their sixth and last to date, defeating the Utah Jazz in the finals that year. In the World Cup, France shut out Brazil 3-0 to win that tournament in their home country, while the Winter Olympics earlier that year took place in Nagano, Japan. Tara Lipinski became the darling of the Olympic Games, becoming the youngest skater in Olympic history to win a gold medal. She was just 15 years old. Scary to think she's in my peer group. It was also the first Olympics where National Hockey League players competed for the first time ever. Despite the participation of players from the United States, Canada, Russia, and other countries who have representation in the NHL, the team from the Czech Republic took the gold medal in that sport. It was also the debut of women's hockey at the Olympic Games, and Team USA took the gold medal in that sport. As I mentioned before, it was a comeback year of sorts for the national pastime of baseball. Two players, one named Mark McGuire, the other Sammy Sosa, kept baseball fans enthralled, as well as that of the nation, when it came to the home run chase. In the end, Mark McGuire broke Roger Maris' long-standing home run record of 61 home runs, knocking 70 out of the park, and Sosa was close behind, finishing with 66. that steroids played a part in all this. Just kind of swept it under the rug. Meanwhile, a guy who played the game clearly, Cowherkin Jr. of the aforementioned Baltimore Orioles, ended his consecutive game streak in rather quiet fashion. In all, Cowherkin Jr. played 2,632 games, ending the streak on September 20th, 1998 against, you guessed it, the eventual world champion New York Yankees. 1998 was also the year that I started watching wrestling again. 
This time, WWF Monday Night Raw. Thank you to my brother-in-law for that, because I was visiting him at his apartment, along with my sister. Well, my brother-in-law wasn't my brother-in-law at the time, you see. Uh, they had yet to be married. But anywho, it's... My brother-in-law had the USA Network, WWF Superstars, and there was a tease for the go-home for that year's King of the Ring. I watched every Monday night since then. The following Sunday at King of the Ring, Mick Foley and The Undertaker took on each other in a memorable match involving Hell in a Cell. We go to the other bit of pop culture, and that is the Grammys that year. Switching up a little bit, because I want to mention that I played you into a part of Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes by Paul Simon. Unfortunately, we had yet another big old bit. Well, not big by comparison with all the others. This was the passing of the man born Becky Zizwe, Joseph Sifa Timanla, Choveni Shengu Big Boy Shabalala. That's his name, don't wear it out. But he's actually Joseph Shabalala, the lead singer of a group called Lady Smith Black Mombazo. They frequently work with Neil Simon, especially in the Graceland album. And I remember hearing that song for the first time in a music theory class my freshman year at Castleton. Well, to the Grammys, uh, best record of 1997 went to Sonny Came Home by Sean Colvin, while Bob Dylan got the best album called Time Out of Mind. A noteworthy event or incident happened during Dylan's performance at that year's Grammys. A gentleman by the name of Michael Portnoy was originally hired to be one of the background dancers during Dylan's performance. He stepped out of line, stripped off his shirt to reveal the word soy bomb painted on his chest. Now, I was looking to have him be the main topic of this discussion, or this episode rather, but in doing the research, I was going to be way in over my head explaining all this to you. I really don't want to put you through any mental torture on that whole deal. Finally, we'll wrap it up with the Oscars. The best film, both in terms of money as well as critical acclaim, was the James Cameron classic Titanic. It was nominated for 14 categories in that year's Academy Awards and took home awards in all but three of those categories, including Best Picture and Best Director. It was also the top-grossing film of 1998, Domestically raking in $600 million over that. All time, the movie took in over $2 billion with a B dollars. So that's a look back at 1998. And I got a little surprise for you. I'm going to talk about my working life in this episode. So let's get to it, shall we? Now, I decided to make the topic of this episode my working life because I'm switching from one company to another. So what is it that I have been doing at this company for all this time? Well, for 15 years, I know it's too long to be in one job, but it was called being a transaction processor. I was in data entry, just so you know. 
I was hired on from college in 2005 to work at this place called the New York State Child Support Processing Center. And while we're not in independent contractors, they contract our business out to originally a, a company called Tier Technologies based in Virginia. Then in 2007, we went to ACS, Affiliated Computer Solutions. Three years later or thereabouts, ACS had announced a merger with Xerox, a well-known company, mainly famous with photocopiers. In fact, I got the news after I came back from a 10-day Caribbean cruise. It would be another two years or so until the merger was consummated. April of 2012, Xerox took over ACS. However, it was decided late in 2016 that our company was going to be spun off. We became conduit, and we've been that ever since. That's going on three years now, or just over three years, starting right after the holidays. However, my experience with work was a passive one, at least to start anyway. My dad, growing up, helped support the family by driving a coffee truck. He was salt-of-the-earth American. Now, a coffee truck, like you drive around, you serve food, you serve refreshments, you know, one thing or another. I remember when he sold tobacco. I was too young for that shit. I've never smoked in my life, never have, never will. I've had coworkers go out in one spot and decide to light it up. I don't see what the point of it is. But during parts of the summer, when I was about 10, 11, 12 years old, I would spend either half or a whole day with my father out and about in Saratoga Springs, New York, visiting construction job sites, our local fire department, a car dealership service department. I got to be friends with some of the people there. At least they knew me from being my dad's kid. And it was my first experience with work. Everybody needs to work and support yourself. Get money, pay those bills. You know that as well as I. In her book entitled The Working Life, The Promise of Betrayal in Modern Work, Joanne B. Shula describes the word work as, quote, a very general term for human activity. The first definition that the Oxford English Dictionary offers is only slightly more specific than the Old English word from which it was originated. According to the OED, something that is or was done, what a person does or did, an act, deed, proceeding, business. Mrs. Chula goes on further to say, work is an extraordinary word because it does so many different things. We do work and we go to a place called work. Work is something we have, something we own, something we make. There are works of art, architecture, music, and literature. One can admire the work of a surgeon, an accountant, an auto mechanic, or a carpet salesman. We can work a room, a piece of wood, bread dough, or a stuck lock. We can work it out, work out, do good works, work someone over, or get worked up. And if we're not careful, we can even become workaholics. John Locke distinguished between the work of our hands and the labor of our bodies to separate man the maker, homo faber, from man the laboring animal, animo laborans. The work of our hands produces some material object. In a sense, the memory of our lives is in this object. Hegel called work the process of turning ideas into objects or acts, externalization. End quote. Now, while the work of my hands hasn't necessarily been a sculpture or a work of art, I've actually been using my fingers on my hands to key out certain forms or key information into a database, helping out the New York State Office and Child and Family Services. 
I've already told you about Conduit. I am moving on as of this coming week to a new company called eBizDocs. Well, relatively new. They've only been in business since 2007. Conduit is but a spinoff of a former company, as I stated previously. How did I get in touch with eBizDocs, you ask? Likewise, a good question. Back in September of this year, I went to an open house hosted by this very company. And it turns out that they are very keen on hiring people on the autism spectrum, such as myself. Well, it took a little longer than I expected, but such as it is when you're trying to find a new gig or you're trying to find your first job. I think we should start there. What was my first gig, you asked? Well, it didn't pay much, but I helped my dad make coffee. Now, by this definition, I helped take single-serve Folgers coffee packets, take the bag and put them into styrofoam cups, and I would just stack them up on the counter at home. And that's something I would do when I wasn't at school. You know, keep my hands busy. And I got paid a goodly sum. It wasn't like anything like I have to fill out a W-4 or any paperwork. This was just helping out the family. All that came along when I was a junior in high school. My brother-in-law, who wasn't my brother-in-law at the time, he was just my sister's fiancé, got a managerial job at a now-defunct toy store chain called KB Toys. This first year, it was at the equally defunct Latham Circle Mall. There is now an actual shopping center on the site of said mall, believe it or not. It's undergone a new name, the shops at Latham Circle. Well, my brother-in-law was keen to hire me on as staff for the holiday season, and he did. I got to work Black Friday and every other Saturday, actually every Saturday, and then also Christmas Eve as well. I got a nice little paycheck to go along with it. And I go through orientation, all that stuff. I would continue to work at KB Toys, but only on Black Friday weekend the following two years. My senior year of high school and my freshman year of college at what used to be Rotterdam Square Mall, now called Viaport Rotterdam. It was my first real working experience, and I'm grateful for it. I also did work study when I was in college at Castleton University, then Castleton State College. I worked for one hour in the print room at the Science Center, an apprentice of sorts. And then I got a peer tutorship for doing so well in my statistics classes. I took that position on when I was a not senior, I was a junior when this happened. Try to suppress a burp there, hope you didn't hear that. I'll have to edit that out with the Anchor app. Anyway, I was rewarded for my efforts not only with a paycheck, a steady source of income, however temporary, but I believe I also got a 20% discount at the college store. It was so long ago, I can't really recall. Well, as I mentioned previously, I did not directly go to work for a big corporation of sorts after college. My first gig was a temporary one, at least it felt that way, Sometime after I graduated, I worked at the local Target. I was a cashier. I had never worked retail before. I did at KB Toys, but I was just outside handing sale papers for the holiday season. That's also the Wonder Dog. I don't know if you can hear him. But anyway, he's a dog. He doesn't really work. But anyway, back to the lecture at hand. Good boy, good boy. Sorry, I'm getting distracted here. Anyway, back to the story. I worked at Target for about two weeks, and I didn't like how I was getting dicked around with the schedule. I mostly worked evenings, and I worked during the day on Sundays. Well, my schedule at 
the child support processing center where I'm soon to have already worked I'm in the data entry department. It's called Image Data Capture, IDC. That's where I've been working all this time. We also have a call center for child support and also a department that processes the checks that are sent by custodial parents, or actually non-custodial parents who have to pay the child support as a result of divorce or one thing or another. Well, I decided I was going to move on to eBiz Docs. About two weeks ago, I turned in my nose saying I was moving on. And they were very sad to see me go. But I'm all the better for having the experience. And I'm looking forward to new experiences at eBizDocs. So where is it, you ask? eBizDocs is over in Manan. So it's right off Interstate 787. I'll have a different commute. I'm going to have a different start time, too. Recently, I've been coming in at 8 o'clock, Monday through Saturday. Well, I work every other Saturday. They give me a day off during the week to make up for it. Well, I won't have that problem anymore. I'll be working Monday through Friday. I'll have weekends off unless they say, hey, you want to come in on Saturday? I said, sure. That's what I've done not only two weeks ago this Saturday, but also this coming Saturday as I record this. So I'm making some money. It was a little stressful working two jobs. I don't know how I found the energy for it, but I'm really looking forward to this new experience. Hope you come along for the ride. Before I wrap up this episode of the podcast, a work of both my hands and my mouth, as well as my brain, such as it is, I want to give the shout-outs to others who make podcasting the work of both their hands and their mouths, be it for money or just for love of the game. First off, the Break It Down show, Tim McIntosh-Smith, there were some great episodes. Mr. McIntosh-Smith was a guest on one of them, had a great talk on 3,000 Years of Arab History, that's his book, an enlightening discussion on the Arab culture. Hilliard guests with a great conversation he's a screenwriter producer and good friend of pete's and doc collins an army veteran thank you for your service who was a combat medic during his time in the military in a past life he was a pro wrestler he has his book out called 1300 hours which everybody should check out even if you're a veteran or not a veteran and speaking of wrestling that leads me to greetings from allentown peter winston broke down an episode of World Championship Wrestling. The 605 Mothership Daddy. Episode that aired November 1st, 1986. This is where Nikita Koloff turned babyface. And of course, Peter Winston's buddy in podcasting is Steve Bennett, the sportscasters. Hopefully this is an episode that will have come out by the time you hear this. I heard him plug this episode on an episode of the Place to Be Nation podcast. He interviewed Greg Wyshynski, now of ESPN, formerly of Yahoo Sports, the Puck Daddy blog, talking a little hockey. Jeff Perlman, author of this upcoming book on the late, great Kobe Bryant and his partnership with Shaquille O'Neal in the early 2000s, the great Lakers teams of that era. And we go back to talking pucks with Mike Shop, a Buffalo Sports Talk radio host, about the lost season of the Buffalo Sabres. So check all those podcasts out, and while you're at it, check my podcast out. If you like what you're hearing, you're hearing what you like, give me a rating for five stars and a good write-up if you listen on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen on Spotify and Google Podcasts and all these other places, as I mentioned earlier. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will do it for episode 98 of the Keep It To Yourself podcast. 99, and then we hit the century mark. Can't wait for that. Still don't know what I've got in the pipeline as far as that goes, but we shall see. 
I'm sure it's something that you're really going to enjoy. So with all that out of the way, thanks as ever for listening. I never take the audience for granted, never have, never will. I'll talk to you on the next one, whenever that may be. And as always, and above all else, wait for it. Wait for it. Keep smiling. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Sit, boo-boo, sit. Good dog. <laughs> you gotta harvest your nuts right now, man.